we go. Good morning, every single buddy. Good morning. Thank you, Vicki. Good morning. Hey, I'm Doug. I'm one of the pastors here at Hope, and I am really grateful that all y'all are here this morning to be together, to worship together with us. Uh, every week, we like to just remind uh, ourselves uh, and let new folks know that, that Hope um, is a, a grace-based family. This church is a grace-based family where anyone can find and follow Jesus. That's our, that's our aim. And, and now the place that we really live that out and flesh that out is within our small groups. And so this week is our launch of our small groups fall season. It starts today, in fact, with a huge group that meets uh, this afternoon. Um, but there's uh, small groups on many days of the week. There are sign-ups out there if you want to join a small group. Mo many of them still have uh, at least a few spots open. But let me tell you about one group. Um, so it's actually more than one group. Tuesday nights, we're trying something different with small groups this year. Tuesday nights here at Hope, there's going to be a couple of small groups that meet here at the church. Now, that's for a couple of reasons. One, we uh, just needed a place to, to have one of the groups meet. But we also thought, you know, while we're doing this, um, there's a few small group leaders available. We, we wanna, we're hoping that maybe for some folks, if their hang-up is like, ah, I don't want to do a small group in somebody's house that I haven't been to, especially maybe if somebody's new or that's kind of a hesitation, we thought, okay, let's remove that hurdle and we'll do a group or groups right here at Hope on Tuesday nights, 6.30. So if you're somebody that hasn't signed up for a group and you've been like, oh, I'm not sure about going to somebody's house, um, first of all, I'd be like, I'll try it anyway. But, but come here, Tuesday nights, 6.30. Uh, Heidi and I will be here. Rock and Dee are on the team. They'll be here. Eric and Valerie will be here. So we've got different small group leaders that are going to lead groups right here. So uh, sign up for that group or any of the other groups today after church in the lobby. Whew. All right. Now, uh, let's pray and roll into the message. Jesus, uh, you're so good to us. Thank you uh, that you have called us um, children uh, of God, that you have made us children of God, that you've invited us into the family of God. Um, so this morning, Jesus, as we look at Scripture, as we look at some larger concepts in the Bible uh, especially in the New Testament, about discipleship. I pray that you just give us open hearts to hear uh, if there's something that you're speaking to any of us um, or to us collectively as a church. We, we give you our attention, God, and I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come, that anything that I say that would be confusing or um, not said well, Lord, would you just take it and by your Holy Spirit do something with it that only you can do. Um, we give you our time now, Jesus. Amen? Amen, amen. All right, I want to start the message this morning by thinking about the idea, the concept of mission statements, mission statements. Lots of organizations, lots of companies have mission statements. You've seen them all over the place. And the benefit of having a mission statement is it helps to keep a group or an organization focused on task. They can say, okay, so what's our mission? And they look back at their mission statement, and hopefully if they're like, drifting or they're off target um, or distracted, the mission statement helps people keep the main thing the main thing, uh, especially in organizations um, or groups, but that's also true for individuals. So uh, we're just going to do a little guessing game here. I thought this was so clever, but it was so easy for first service. Maybe you guys aren't as smart as first service. We'll see. Um, so we get four, four, you're supposed to laugh. Um, 
We got four different mission statements. Somebody's going to punch me. I could feel it. Um, so here's the first one. Uh, I'm going to read the mission statement, and then I'll pause. It's up here on the screen. Here's the mission statement. To inspire and nurture the human spirit, one person, <clears throat> one cup, hint, hint, and one neighborhood at a time. Any guesses from y'all at what company this is from? Oh, you guys are just, you're smarter than first service. That was fast. You guys are good. That's really good. Um, all right. So here's the next one, a mission statement. This, uh, this is an internet-based business, and this, this one exists too. It says, make people, I'm sorry, to give people the power to share and make the world a more open and connected place. Anybody? What do you guys think? Is Facebook the right answer? Ooh, it's quiet. Huh? You're not sure. X, Twitter now, X. How many of you say it's Facebook? How many of you say it's Twitter or X? Like, even the people that said it was X don't, no, no, it is. It's Facebook. Let's see. Next slide says it is Facebook. Y'all were right. I can't even throw you when I try to trick you. All right, here's the third one. Another, uh, this one's internet focused as well. To organize the world's information and make it universally accessible and useful. What do you think? Which one is this? Google. You guys are so good, right? Next slide says it is. Yes, you are correct. Google, I underestimated you. I should have gone with like harder ones. But the last one here, this is a real softball. It's for a store. The mission for this store since the first one opened in 1962 is we save people money so they can live better. You guys are all yelling it out ahead of time. Next slide shows that it is indeed Walmart. There you go. All right. So, okay, don't tell for a service, but you, you guys did a little better than they did. Um, you will tell, right? <laughs> You're off of announcements for a long time. Yeah, no, that's going to be, I'm going to get in so much trouble. All right, so uh, again, the idea here with the open is just to think about the idea of mission statements. Again, mission statements are, next slide, intended to help an organization or a group stay focused. When you can ask, what's our mission or what's the main thing we're trying to do, you go back and look at your mission statement. Now, lots of churches have mission statements as well, uh, and these are good. If we get off track, they are hopefully going to bring us back. Um, earlier in my ministry, I spent, I can't tell you, countless hours on church leadership teams as we tried to craft better mission statements and vision statements. And, and we wanted to do these things for good reason, to keep the main thing the main thing and not get distracted by all the different things that we could be doing as a church. And then a pastor, mentor, friend of mine he simplified the whole thing one time for a group of us. Uh, his name is Mike Chong Perkinson. And Mike showed us from Scripture that, guys, Jesus already created a mission statement for every church. He, he showed us that, that according to Jesus, every church must have at its core um, three things. And, and uh, Pastor Mike called it the irreducible core, like this has got to, what boils down to irreducible, nothing less than this, and those three things are to love God, to love others, and ooh, change up, make disciples, make disciples, don't worry, I'll explain the switch here in a second, and, and according to Mike, um, any church, they can do more than these three things, but these three things at minimum have to be included at the core of the main mission of every church. So that when a church says, okay, so what is our mission? What has God put us here to do? At the very least, the irreducible core, it has to include love God, love others, and make disciples. Now, if you've been around here at Hope for any length of time, um, 
You've heard our staff call this, uh, we have a version of this, and we call it the big three. And the way we say it, the way we say um, our big three is, all together now, we love God, love others, and follow Jesus together. And so today, and actually next week as well, I'm going to wrap up this mini-series that we've been on um, the past number of weeks, and we've been calling it The Big Three in 2023. Now, last week, uh, Liz, who always does such a great job when she preaches, would you not agree, right? Oh, so good. Um, Liz did just a great job bringing us into this, what does it look like to love God area? And weeks before, we looked at what loving others looks like. We looked at loving others and following Jesus by being hope on mission. And Heidi spoke that week. And we've looked at how we follow Jesus together. And one of the ways we do that is in small groups. And today, what I want to do is talk a little bit about some of what we mean by following Jesus. And specifically, I'm going to hone in on that word disciple, being disciples of Jesus. I want to look at what that is supposed to, to look like. Now, to connect the dots back to disciples, I want to remind each of us where this irreducible core, the big three, where this comes from out of the Bible. This is not something we just kind of dreamed up out of creativity. Um, this is taken from two places out of the book of Matthew. These two passages, one is known as the Great Commandment, one is known as the Great Commission. And, you know, part of me was like, ah, we don't need to do this. But I actually had a leader not long ago go, where does that come from? Like, they actually thought, you know, we're that clever, we came up with the big three ourselves. So I thought, you know, it wouldn't hurt for all of us to, to look at this. So just briefly over the next couple minutes, um, let's start with the great commandment. This is Matthew 22, and here's what happened. The Pharisees got together. One of them, it says, an expert in the law tested Jesus with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandments in the law? So pause here. It's a test, right? It's like, hey, Jesus, of the 613 commands, which one of those is the greatest? There was a lot of debate about this amongst rabbis and religious teachers. Which one is the greatest? So let's all of us now read Jesus' answer out loud together. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So this is how Jesus sums up our mission as his followers, the first two, love God and love others. Now, throughout church history, this idea, this passage even has been just labeled the great uh, commandment, the great commandment. So that's the first two. And now the third part of this irreducible core, the big three, the mission of every church, it comes from a different passage. Again, it's labeled the Great Commission, uh, Matthew 28, um, starting in verse 18. Let's read this, these three verses out loud together. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Okay, now flip back here to verse 19 out of that. It says, therefore, go and what? Make disciples. So that's where that third 
element of the irreducible core, this mission statement Jesus gave every church is to make disciples, or how we say it in our big three, it's to follow Jesus together. Same idea, same thing for us. Now, I think this idea here of being a disciple, it's so core to the mission of each church and really to the focus of each Christian, it's so important that I just want to look at that word disciple for the rest of our time this morning and also uh, next Sunday as we wrap up this series. And the first thing that I want to point out about this word disciple is I just want to acknowledge like it doesn't really get used a lot in our modern world. It's kind of a different uh, word for us. Um, now we're familiar with a different word. Um, we use the word Christian quite a bit, right? We say Christian, that gets known and seen a lot, but I kind of wonder if maybe some of the mission drift that happens when we forget the importance of this word and what it means and how it means to live uh, as a disciple, um, part of what I think the drift comes from is that we have started to often think of Christian as one category and disciple as another. Like, they're two different categories. Like, you've got Christian, and you've got another category maybe a little more serious as a disciple. John Mark Comer points out, um, he says, that word Christian, it's actually used a meager three times in all of the New Testament, always in a negative light. Like, when you see the word Christian in the New Testament, just those three times, like, it's kind of being insulting toward Christians. Um, But he continues, he says, the word disciple or the word apprentice is used, get this, 268 times in the New Testament. He says, it's the dominant language for who you are as a follower of Jesus. Disciple. And it's funny, you know, think about the word Christian. It's not like I'm against it. But I stop and think about what does that word Christian mean for most people in the USA? Uh, I think it tends to mean, well, okay, that's somebody that, you know, they believe in God, maybe they believe in Jesus, go to church on a semi-regular basis. Maybe, you know, regular these days means Christmas and Easter, but, you know. um, And then maybe you're a semi-moral person. That would, I guess, be a Christian, hopefully. But that's about all that the word Christian means to most folks, I think sometimes even within the church. Um, in fact, Christian, in some ways, and I won't get into this, it's a whole other sermon, but Christian these days often um, can mean something negative because of how politics have been co-opted and joined together with Christian in ways that are actually not Christian, not at all like a disciple, and counter to the teachings of Jesus, but a whole different sermon, we'll leave that over there. Um, But just even the definition most people have of kind of this idea of the word Christian, right? That the definition, it's pretty shallow, Christianity light maybe. And when we see the word Christian that way, no wonder um, it's easy for us to lose track of the mission that Jesus called each of us to as disciples. And by the way, if you're like, oh, wow, I've only thought of Christian as one thing and disciple as another, no shame here, no shame at all. Like, for a long time, I, too, would have said, sure, I guess, you know, you got one category where you're a Christian and another category where you're, ooh, a little more serious, you're a disciple of Jesus. But I have to just say this, um, in all love and grace, um, that separate category does not exist. 
uh, in the teachings of Jesus or in the teachings of the New Testament. In Scripture, it's pretty stark, pretty easy to find this. You're either an apprentice, a disciple, or you're not, right? The two groups are disciples of Jesus and then everyone else. Um, So, I want to spend the next few minutes here before we move into the next part. I want to spend a few minutes just talking about Jesus of Nazareth and disciples, followers of Jesus of Nazareth. Um, And I want to talk about how Jesus was a rabbi, a teacher. Um, Now, Jesus was a lot of things. Like today, he is a lot of things, right? Maybe we think of Jesus, we think, oh yeah, I think of Jesus, he's the son of God. Uh, Maybe we know him as Savior or Messiah. Maybe we know Jesus as Lord. But if you were a first century Jew 2,000 years ago, back when Jesus lived, uh, and one Sabbath morning, Jesus were to show up in your synagogue and teach from the Torah, the odds are that um, the category you would identify Jesus in from that first century perspective, you would say, oh, he's a most important thing you'd know. He's a rabbi. He's a rabbi. That's the category. And, and, and a rabbi, rabbi is a Hebrew word meaning teacher. And a rabbi was a religious teacher um, who would travel around from village to village and synagogue to synagogue, and he would use his set of teachings to interpret and teach the Torah or the Hebrew scriptures of the day. And rabbis were really thought highly of. Like, rabbis back then were kind of like the rock stars of today. Like, you would see a rabbi and go, oh, wow, they are like, this is like way up there. People really respected them. Like, you know, you think of rock stars that people are are admiring and think highly of today. Like Heidi and I um, were listening to an audiobook um, written by Bono um, of U2, and that dude's a rock star. Like, it's amazing the things that's happened in his life and the influence he's used for good, and we were just enjoying it, and my admiration goes up for him, and a lot of people admire him, and a lot of people here in our culture today, we admire, you know, rock stars, or we admire athletes or actors, um, but... Rock stars, athletes, um, musicians, uh, actors have nothing um, on the hype that a first century rabbi like Jesus would have. Like, he was so, he and the other rabbis were so highly esteemed, um, they were thought of just as like people to be revered. They were the rock stars of their time and place. And Jesus was. A brilliant young rabbi teacher thought highly of by the people. Not always by the other teachers, but by the people he was seen as kind of a rock star. Now, with that in place, Jesus being a rabbi, I want to just read a few passages. I actually cut this way down uh, just for time. But uh, personally, even though we're preaching through Luke, I've read through that a few times, and I started in my personal time doing Mark, and so I just noticed a few stories in the book of Mark when it comes to Jesus as a rabbi as a teacher and disciples and how he calls people. And so we'll start just here. Mark 1, if you've got your Bible, otherwise it's on the screen. Verse 16, I'll just read it here. It says, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a, well that should be a net, into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I'll send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. All right, just flip the page to chapter 2. Skip that one down. Next one here. We're going to look at verse 13 again. Mark 2, 13. I'll just read that passage. 
It says, once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, so this is also Matthew, Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. Follow me. And Levi got up and followed him. One more, just one more here. Go to Mark 8. We'll start here in verse 34. It says, Then Jesus called a crowd to him, along with his disciples, and said, Whoever... Like, whoever, he's talking to the crowd, whoever wants to be my disciple, like these guys are, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Forever, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Now, in all of these passages, Jesus says, you want to be a disciple? Okay, follow me. And we could just keep reading story after story after story. I literally just had to cut a bunch out because I was like, wow, that'd be a lot of reading and a lot of time. But you can just read through the Gospel of Mark, Luke. You can read through these Bible stories, the Gospels, these stories of the life of Jesus. Um, And just even in the three that we looked at today, did you notice any patterns of what Jesus called people to, what his invitation was? Anyone? Yes, to follow him, right? To follow him. That's what Jesus invites them, by the way, us as well, too, to follow me. The call of Jesus was to come and follow me. It was not, you know... All right, here's Jesus. He's like, all right, hey, listen, everybody here. I want you to to know the right thing, to believe the right thing uh, about this, that, and the other. That was not his invitation. Um, Jesus' invitation was not, hey, why don't you all just come to church once in a while, live a semi-moral life, and pray this prayer so you can go to heaven when you die. That was not anywhere the call of Jesus. The call of Jesus, his invitation, and that same invitation stands today. His call was to come and follow me. Another way to put it is to come and be my disciple. Again, there's that word disciple. We link that back to the mission statement that Jesus gave us to make disciples. See, we, we are to be disciples who make disciples. And because it's such an important part of the mission that Jesus gave us, again, I want to stay focused on that word disciple, um, by looking at what it meant back then for the next few minutes, and then what does disciple mean for us today, and we'll continue that next week, but get to part of it this week. Now, this word disciple um, in the Hebrew, it's a Hebrew word, uh, and it's talmudim. Can you all say that word together? Very nice. You guys definitely got it on first service. Nicely done, nicely done. Um, Talmudim, and disciple is kind of the most common way this gets Translated, but you can also translate student or follower. Um, that's part of why we say follow Jesus together. It's, it's, it's kind of part and parcel of the same thing. But when we think of these other words, um, follower or student, like our modern day way of thinking of that, don't think of it that way. Like it's not like, oh, I follow you on Instagram or whatever. It's not that kind of follow. Um, uh, or it's not in the sense of, oh, yes, I'm a student at the university. I'm a student. I go take class. Uh, I go to class. I take notes. I pass a test. I get a grade and then I'm done. It's not <laughs> that kind of student. It's much more than that. It's much deeper than that. 
In fact, in the English language, I think um, I agree with uh, some, some of the experts, some of the translators who say the word that best captures this idea behind the concept of a Talmudim is an apprentice, an apprentice, someone who lives their life under the teaching and guidance of the rabbi, an apprentice, because the rab- you as a disciple want to be like the rabbi, like you're apprenticing to Jesus. Now, a little backstory with this kind of apprentice idea and Talmudim idea. Um, discipleship, and a lot of people don't realize this, but discipleship was not invented by Jesus. He was not the first rabbi to have disciples. In fact, discipleship didn't even just start in Israel or Judaism. As far as we can tell from history, it looks like discipleship started back in Greece with Socrates and Aristotle. They would have disciples. And so discipleship or apprenticeship was a familiar concept, not just to, to the Jews in Palestine in the first century, but also it was familiar to the broader Roman and, and world of Greece as well. That whole culture, that first century world, they understood broadly what it meant to be an apprentice or a disciple. Now, in Judaism, in the Jewish world, and I've talked about this before, so I won't get deep into it, um, but the way discipleship worked during Jesus' day is in, in, in Jewish culture, there were three levels of education, three levels of education, and it was intense, right? You'd, you'd have the first level with kids, and, you know, how old's Remy? Seven? So by a year past Remy, closer to Ezekiel's age, um, you would have memorized, all the Jewish kids, these books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, memorized at their age. Zeke, how, how, how old are you, Zeke? How old are you? Nine. So by wave at Zeke on the way out. Like at his age, that's just normal, right? This is how they would have that memorized by that age. That was phase one. I know it sounds crazy. Don't worry. We're not going to do that here in God's own buddy. Um, that would be phase one. Level two of three. Um, and a lot of kids would be done after that, right? They'd be done um, probably age 10, 11. They'd be finished with level one. And some would go on. Most would be kind of done. Next group would go on if they kind of made the cut. And they would memorize the rest of mostly what we call the Old Testament. These are kids before junior high. All that stuff memorized. That's how intense it was. And then most of them were done, and 1% of them would go on to level 3, age 14 or 15, 1% of the students that were left, only the best of the best of the best. And let's say that you were in that, you know, type, that that top 1%. You made the cut. You wanted to become a Talmudim now. You were going to be that exclusive, like, apprentice, this disciple of a rabbi. And so you would find a rabbi to follow and learn under, and eventually they might say, okay, yes, you can follow me. You've got what it takes. And so what would you do if you were selected? This is all you would do. It was pretty simple at that point. It wasn't easy, but it was simple. <laughs> you would follow your rabbi. That's what you did. You followed your teacher. You followed your rabbi. Literally, Follow them. You entrust your entire life, your learning, your growth to your rabbi. You would do life with your rabbi. It's not like you go to school in the morning and go home. And go. No, you would do your life with your rabbi, living with and being with them, following your rabbi. If you were that top percent, maybe, you might maybe get to. So, 
When Jesus shows up, he puts a twist on this whole familiar concept to the whole world at that time that they were in. He puts a twist on this whole deal, on this whole rabbi and disciple thing. Um, Remember what we read earlier out of the book of Mark with with Peter, Andrew, James, and John? Um, What were they? What was their job before? Fishermen. Okay, so they had not made the cut. They did not make the cut. They were not the best of the best. They were not going to be disciples of any rabbi. They were just out doing a job. Uh, And Matthew, Levi, the the tax collector, like, not a chance. No one was going to let him be a disciple. He had given up all hope or dreams of ever wanting to even do this. But Jesus messes with the whole system and turns it on its head. And he, the best rabbi ever, chooses them to follow him, to be with him him, to be his Talmudim, to be his apprentices, his disciples. I mean, it's mind-blowing. Jesus, the greatest rock star rabbi, the greatest teacher ever, scraps this whole system of exclusivity, and he opens up discipleship to anyone who will just simply do what? Follow him. Whoa, this was mind-blowing. It actually gets a little more crazy when you go to the end of, you know, before Jesus ascends and does the the mission statement, the great commission. You connect the idea where Jesus tells his his disciples, tells them, you disciples, go now and make disciples. Because that was not allowed. To make disciples, you already had to be a big shot rabbi. But Jesus scraps that and says, no, 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 no. You continue to be disciples and make disciples disciples of not just the Jewish folks that are, you know, exclusive, but of all nations, all people. Invite everyone to follow Jesus. He scraps the whole thing, turns it on its head. And what is the program for anyone who wants to be a disciple? It's not easy, but it's simple, simple concept program is we follow Jesus. You follow Jesus. That's what we do. Just like they did back then. Um, Because back then, you followed your rabbi, your teacher. You followed him so closely. There was this well-known Hebrew blessing, and some of you know this. I've spoken of it before. In the first century, this Hebrew blessing that went like this. May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. I'm telling you what, I don't like it. Dust. We went camping last weekend, and man, I don't, it was dirt everywhere. We were washing stuff for days. I'm not a big fan of dust or dirt. Um, but for them, this was an honor to be covered in the dust. They followed so closely their rabbi that they got dust all over them, and it was an honor because they would just stick with him everywhere he would go. Literally at the end of the day, if you followed your rabbi, Wherever he went and listened and did the teaching and watched him, you would be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Which sounds like it's like a pretty close following, doesn't it? Pretty close following, so close that you get the dust of your rabbi all over you. Okay, so that all was kind of history lesson. So history lesson is over, okay? That's right here, we got that. And I want to now flip it from this first century concept and idea and description to the 21st century place that we live, this urban desert heat island area that we call home. 
What does it look like to be a disciple here for us? To be a disciple, an apprentice of Jesus today, we have the exact same goal that they had. We learn to follow Jesus closely. That's what it means to be a disciple, an apprentice. We follow Jesus. We see Jesus as our teacher. We trust him then to show us the path that leads to life. And yes, one of the ways that we trust him to teach us is through um, the teachings, the words that he spoke and said, and I plan on talking more about that, I think, next week. But it's not just the teachings. It also means as we follow him, we're watching the example in how he lived. Equally important. In fact, a couple weeks ago, Heidi, uh, my wife Heidi, talked about in her sermon about the importance of being with people as our primary or at least starting point of witness. To, she, 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 she said, witness is our witness, being with someone. Like so many times we want to, like, oh, our witnessing, we got to learn all the four spiritual laws and we got to have all the Bible stuff and we got to have all the ways that we got to explain all this stuff and just kind of talk people. I'm not saying that that's always a bad thing, but the starting point, especially if somebody's lost or if they're in pain or hurting, the starting point is just to be with them, which is what Jesus did. We watch Jesus do that all over the scriptures. Uh, the, the disciples of Jesus learned from Jesus by watching him and being with him. And where many other rabbis may have primarily or only taught people, you know, hey, here's the right thing to do, here's the right thing to believe, and Jesus taught those things, but Jesus also especially makes it clear um, that what it looks like to follow him is to be love in action. To be love in action. And if we're going to follow the example of Jesus in how he ministered to other people, we're going to notice he didn't sit around and just kind of lecture folks and impart knowledge all, all by itself. That's not all he would do. And, and, and I point this out because sometimes I think our modern interpretation when we see in the Great Commission, you know, go to the world and make disciples and teach them to obey, um, a lot of times we think, I think it's easy to go, well, it's kind of classroom, teach them, you know, all the basic things about the faith. Um, and it is that, but it's not just that. In fact, if it's just that, then the way we disciple people by just going for the head knowledge alone is very different than how Jesus did with his disciples and his followers back then. Especially, friends, especially when it comes to meeting with someone who is hurting or lost, um, Jesus often started by just loving people, by being with them, by seeing them, um, by building relationship and trust. And so therefore, as Jesus' disciples, we pay attention to his posture. I think especially when we're connecting with people who are hurting, you know, when people came to Jesus who were in need, again, Heidi talked about this, it, it, he, he was so kind and gentle. He didn't, you know, fix their problem. Hey, here's the things you need to straighten out about the dumb stuff you believe that's not true. Here's all the sins you need. He, he didn't start with that. Um, and so when we encounter someone, especially someone who doesn't know Jesus uh, or someone who's in pain, 
the first thing we got to start with isn't like we're going to teach them all the right answers, the right theology, the right beliefs. That's, that's not where Jesus started. And so that's not where we as disciples primarily want to start either. In fact, I think, and again, I'm talking about a starting point, okay? Starting point. Um, like Jesus did, we might want to start by simply loving people where they're at, by being with them and reminding them, you are not alone. You are not alone. There's power in those words. In fact, that phrase from a few weeks ago, you are not alone, that was a key kind of point a few Sundays ago. Were any of you here for, for that one? We've got a few of us that were here. Some nodding heads, you are not alone. Well, that was the sermon a few weeks ago, and the next day I got an email from a disciple of Jesus follower of Jesus who follows the example of Jesus and, yes, knows the teaching, but knows how to first demonstrate the heart of her rabbi, Jesus. And so yesterday, which is kind of last second, you know, I asked Karen Gray if I could share that email that she wrote with you guys. And by the way, you know, she didn't reply, so that's what you get for not replying to the pastor's emails. I just am going to... I'm just kidding. She did. She gave me permission to share this. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that to you. So here's what she wrote. Doug, yesterday before Bob and I left for church, we received an email from a couple who were interested in a set of office furniture that we had advertised we were giving away for free. For some reason, we both felt like there was something special about them and that our furniture was meant to go to them. Bob felt it was the appointed time, and he'd try to sell the stuff, but between himself and God, he decided instead to give them away. As soon as he posted the ad, Bree responded. We arranged to have them come over Sunday afternoon around 3 o'clock, and they came, and they loved the desk set. They were excited to get it, to make a special homework area for their 11-year-old daughter. They said it was such a blessing. As Bob um, and Matt, that's Bree's husband, Matt, as they loaded the furniture into their truck, Bree and I went to the porch, and I was showing her our yard, and she had told me they'd just moved here from Vegas. I asked her what brought them to Arizona. Bree was quiet for a minute, and then she stated, I have lung cancer, stage four. I'm here because of my doctor, one of the best at Mayo. I've already had one lung removed, and they think I have COPD and possible bone cancer as well. As she spoke, Karen wrote, I prayed to know what to say or do. I was so humbled inside. Here's this beautiful young woman standing in front of me that you would never know was sick. Bree started to cry, and all I could do, all I could do, Karen says, was take her in my arms and quietly say, you are not alone. God loves you. God cares. Jesus came for you. You are not alone. Karen writes, she began to share her story. She knew very little about God, and so I just listened. She cried on and off, and all the Lord had me repeat to her was that she was not alone and that God wanted to be with her and walk beside her and her family in all of this. And then I said, Karen wrote, we will walk with you too. She cried again, gently. 
we went inside, and she saw all my prayer shawls, by the way. Um, if you've seen kind of the slider, heard about the ministry of prayer shawls, and wonder, what is that all about? Here, here's, here's part of what that's all about. Here we go. Karen wrote, I laid them all out, and I told, them, I told her she could pick one for herself and for her daughter, her daughter who does know Jesus from her Christian friends. And this 11-year-old daughter had recently told her mom, Mom, I know you don't believe in Jesus, but you need to. As she picked up the shawl, picture this, you guys. Karen says, I wrapped it around her and encouraged her to visualize Jesus right there with her. His arms around her, loving her, understanding what she was going through. Karen writes, I can't even explain how strongly the Lord's presence was here. She writes, they spent two hours with Bob and I. They hugged and hugged us. If for no other reason, they came to us to hear someone say, you are not alone. And to hear it from somebody who actually believes it. They left and we've exchanged phone numbers. We're going to be walking alongside this family. Bria's given me permission to ask others to pray for her and her family. She can't believe we would do this and she's very appreciative Karen writes, I'm asking for prayer for them and for us as well, that God would give us the words and opportunity to sit with them again, to point them to our Lord. It was a lot on our first meeting, but I know God is not finished. And when they left, <laughs> Bob said to Karen, what a day. And Karen answered, this is what it's all about. This is what it's all about. Then she signs off together, Karen and Bob Gray. Wow. <laughs> Friends, she's right. That is what it's all about. Karen and Bob are just two of many of you in this family who are following Jesus. Um, and, and they're following Jesus as their teacher. They're doing what they have seen Jesus do for them and for so many other people. And just, by the way, just to update on that story, that story's continuing. Um, Karen made cookies and tea and had them over um, after that first visit. Um, and today, this afternoon, I believe, yeah, they're coming over to Karen and Bob's again today. So let's pray for them and with them. I can't wait to hear what the next chapter might be in this. But I tell this story, and I know I could tell so many stories around this room, but I tell this specific story because, friends, that's what an apprentice to Jesus is. This is what a disciple looks like. Following Jesus by demonstrating the love of Jesus to a family who, who, who feels afraid of what they're facing. This is a picture of a disciple living as Jesus would live if Jesus was in Karen and Bob's shoes. Being with people, reminding them you are not alone. This is what it's all about for us. And friends, this is why we talk so frequently about our mission as a church. That, again, mission Jesus gave to every church to love God, to love others, to follow Jesus together. That's our big three, and it drives everything that we do. I mean, just think about it. You and I, we get to follow Jesus into adventures like that. We get the privilege of loving others 
um, in all the different places that Jesus takes us to serve or the people he brings to us across our path. And so as disciples of our rabbi Jesus, disciples who love God, we get to be apprentices of Jesus by opening ourselves to others and loving others, caring for others, and bringing the hope of God's restoration story to everyone that we encounter. That's what we get to do. And friends, when we do that, As a church, when we stay laser-focused on the mission that Jesus gave to us, to love God, to love others, and to follow Jesus together, we can't go wrong. I mean, sure, we're going to make mistakes, and not every story is going to have a happy ending, but I promise you, God shows up and blesses people that care about the things that touch his heart. Amen? But that's kind of our church broad Thing. I want to dial it in for the last few minutes here because it goes beyond our mission as a broader church. See, the church is made up of people, individuals. The church consists of each one of us, and so each one of us actually has a decision on our own to make because while the church is a community and disciples follow Jesus together, each disciple has to make a choice to opt in or not. So, here's the question, where are you when it comes to following Jesus, to being his disciple? Where are you when it comes to following Jesus, to being his disciple? Now, I know, especially if you're kind of newer to church or uh, this whole faith thing, maybe just checking out, some of you might hear that word, you know, disciple, and think, you know, I'm just not good enough. I don't know enough, I didn't make the cut, or there's a lot of mess that I have in my life that I think I first better clean up before I try to be a disciple. But I want to remind you what we read earlier in one of those, in those passages. Jesus called a bunch of guys who weren't good enough, who didn't make the cut. He called, if you keep reading all over the Gospels, he, he called people whose beliefs were all over the place, man. And so hear me. Jesus is calling you right now, as you are, to follow him. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done or not done, no matter what you know or don't know, no matter how much you've messed up despite your failure, despite any thing happening that you would rather not tell anybody about, you, you are invited and called to be a disciple of Jesus, to follow him. Every single one of us is invited to enroll in this lifelong school of discipleship with Jesus. And it's a lifelong school because we're never finished in our apprenticing to Jesus. But it's a school where we learn to follow him, to trust him, to be like him, to partner with him in all of our life. And so right now, as you are, Follow me, is what Jesus says to you. Follow me. That's your invitation. Now, yes, in time it might mean laying some things down. Um, Maybe laying down some of the things you really hold tightly to. Um, It means that you'll become a student, an apprentice, and you're willing to humbly acknowledge, like, 
okay, maybe I'm wrong about this or that belief I have, but it's okay. He'll deal with you in time. And you just trust your rabbi, right? You trust Jesus enough to follow his wisdom, his way, his path. Um, It's not about getting all the answers right and then becoming a disciple. It's about being willing right now to just trust Jesus as your teacher, as your rabbi, and follow him, even when some of it just doesn't even quite make sense all the way yet. So the question again, will you? Will you decide today to begin following Jesus? Will you do that today? As a worship team comes, I think this question applies really to all of us, not people that are just newer at this. Um, Maybe those of us who've been Christians even for a long time, but haven't been thinking about being a Christian as being a disciple. And maybe as you hear the word disciple and you hear the talk today, maybe you realize that your focus on God's intention and mission for your life has drifted. And maybe if you were to be honest, you would have to admit that you've been more influenced or more discipled by the values of our world. Um, You've been more influenced by defining yourself by money or career or job or sexuality or relationships. Um, Maybe that's what's kind of defined who you are instead of being a disciple. Or maybe you've been more discipled by opinions on social media. Or you've been more discipled by your favorite news network. Or you're being more discipled by politics or political commentators instead of being discipled by Jesus. And so I think this morning, even right now, Jesus invites you to again maybe, just maybe it's first time, maybe it's to follow him. He's inviting you again to follow him. Which makes a little more sense, I think, because some of those things are going to be hard to give up. That makes more sense of that Mark 8 passage that we read that says Jesus calls you to die to self, take up a cross, and follow him. Because it's going to feel like dying to turn away from these other teachers, these other influencers, and choosing to let Jesus be your one and only rabbi. So the question again, will you today decide to follow Jesus? Will you begin following Jesus today? you trust him even if it means dismantling some of the things you hold to tightly or dismantling some of the affiliations you turn to for your identity or security will you wipe those things away and put disciple at the top of the list of what defines and describes you and who you are because friends when you do when we do because I'm in it too When you do, your life will change and you will grow and you will experience the love of God like you've never imagined possible. And so as we sing this song, I just want to invite you to respond to this invitation of Jesus to you, his invitation to follow him. And as we sing the words of this song or you just are where you're at right now, I invite you to be with him and to answer his call and decide if you're going to say yes and even wonder if he'll speak to you about what that might look like this morning.